and he, he said this when I was like 16 or so, he's like, it's going to go by quickly. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I took him seriously at the time, but now that I think about when he said that and I think about you know how quickly my career did end, I was like, wow, it, it literally goes that fast. Like it was just, it was just over. Like, I, I don't even know if I realized it was over. It was just done. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, you're well placed. If you're the firstborn, and the firstborn son of a guy who once tried out for the Pittsburgh Pirates, there's a good chance you're going to get a ball put in your hands before you can even walk. I look at pictures when I was little, and even before I can remember, like there's Yankee shirts on me, and I'm holding a baseball, I'm shooting a basketball. Sports were going to be a part of Colin Cernelia's life. That was settled. But finding which sport he'd end up fully embracing and wanting to get serious about was a less straightforward matter. But soccer was was actually the first thing that I, I think I like truly loved to play. And that happened like relatively young. And that was that was interesting because I think it was hard for my parents because neither one of my parents played soccer and they didn't really understand the sport. But I liked it and especially loved it because of the people I was around, like the my teammates and things like that. I think I first fell in love with soccer before I later really fell in love with baseball, but it was just like really interesting. Whenever I reflect on my athletic career, I, I'm like, oh yeah, soccer was like the first love there. <laughs> He'd find good company there. The youth soccer scene had really taken off in Scranton, Pennsylvania in the 90s, even if not more specifically for Mr. and Mrs. Cernelia. The fact that Colin's parents didn't know a whole lot about the sport would actually end up being a blessing in disguise for a young athlete just playing a game and finding his confidence. My parents would take me to the game, and, and not that they did this a lot anyways, but I never had to worry about them like grilling me about, you know, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I mean, they were learning on the fly too, and, and they just didn't have a deep understanding of the game. So it was, it was more of a carefree thing, and I think that's probably why I enjoyed it so much is I got to run around with my friends. I broke my arm the one year, I think it was in first grade, and I got to wear my cast on my on my wrist and like beat kids as I was <laughs> running by and everything. So I had a lot of fun with it when I was little for sure. I relate to that. I mean, I feel like I used to think about some of the, the downsides maybe with my parents not knowing anything about soccer because, you know, they maybe didn't know which clubs to put me in yeah. or, or things like that. But yeah, I definitely relate to the like after the game, they weren't grilling me sort of thing. I, actually, a couple, uh, I think it was not that long ago, my dad said to me, he was like, you know, you never played a bad game in your career. Like, really, you never <laughs> played. <laughs> And that comes from him not knowing the game. <laughs> Just had to put that soundbite in there. It's definitely uh, one of my favorite, most memorable, wholesome dad quotes. Colin stuck with soccer through his junior high days, playing the other sports too. But ultimately, when he was 15, it was baseball that wrangled him in. And why do you feel like you gravitated towards that of all the sports? What made it stick? Yeah, probably the common bond between my dad and I, and and then it carried over to my younger brothers as well, and and that was just something like the four of us it could you know really bond over and not just play all the time 
you know, whether it was organized or we're playing catch in the street at, at the house or we're hitting off the tee in the garage, you know, something like that. I mean, baseball is a relatively easy sport to practice on your own. There's, there's a lot of things you can do on your own. You don't need a basketball hoop. All, all you need is a tee really. And then, you know, maybe a partner to play catch with and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So it doesn't require a lot. And I think that that was part of it, but then, you know, you could <laughs> so many conversations to the, to this day, even just talking, not just about the Yankees, but baseball in general, anything, baseball history, trivia, quizzing each other, you know, trying to one up each other and, and everything. So I got just so interested in baseball more so than just me playing, which I think was a real motivator to continue playing. But just that was where my love of the sport really separated from basketball and soccer, for example, where I, I got a little burnt out by soccer. I was, um, that was probably the sport I was actually best at, which is, interesting to, to look back on now with all my student loans and I'm like well maybe I should have done that differently mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah you could only could only do things once but I uh, I just didn't love the competitive nature of soccer for whatever reason I don't I don't know what it was when I by the time I was in eighth grade I can remember I, I was just over it and those last few years were painful um I was good. It's not just me like patting myself on my back. I would play like every minute, every game. I would be cramping up, uh, you know, things like that. But I, I mean, when I was on the field, it was great. It was, I think it was everything else that, whether it was the off field noise or the training, like I never wanted to do any of the skills training or anything like that. When I was on the field, it was okay. So, you know, I think the love of, of baseball, like outside of just me and like there being something bigger to it is probably what helped separate the the two sports. Cause those were my, my main sports. Basketball was, was fun and, and I enjoyed it, but I was never as good at basketball as I was at the other two. Something kind of interesting happened though, right when he committed solely to baseball as a high schooler. <laughs> I was really good at baseball for a short period, about a three-year period uh, before I kind of hit this wall and uh, completely fell off the face of the earth. Now, was it because he specialized? We don't know. He won't make that claim, but it happened. There was a guy in front of him who's now in the Colorado Rockies organization, so he was tough to beat out. Nothing Colin could do about that. But also, as he looks back, he recognized he wasn't working as hard as he needed to be, or as hard as he once was before high school. The result was that Colin's desire to take baseball as far as it could take him was kind of put on ice for a bit. Just for a bit, though. Baseball wasn't going to go away without a fight. Um, I got that itch after my senior year of high school ended going into my freshman year, and I knew there was going to be a a spring season at Penn State Scranton where I was going to school, or excuse me, a fall season. And so I just emailed the coach. I was like, hey, I have an itch to, you know, maybe play. I'm totally cool with walking on, backing up, you know, whatever it is. I just, I want to be around the boys again and play baseball and and have fun. And luckily he was open to it. And I, I went to you know, school a week or two early because uh, they were they were already starting practice and and everything and ended up you know being on the team and that freshman year was probably the most fun I think I ever had playing baseball. Um, part of it was because I ended up 
<clears throat> excuse me, earning an, a starting position. So I was getting playing time for the first time in roughly three years. And th the other part of it was just, I think, you know, being away for the first time, you know, making some really close friends on that team, traveling, you know, just, you know, you're learning so much about yourself when you're 18 years old. And, and I think that experience was, was just so good. And I mean, we were a decent team. We, we won a, a bunch of games. We weren't the best team. So, you know, we, we won enough to, to stay happy in that sense too. So um, the college experience started really good. Um, ended really quickly. <laughs> I, I would say after that. Uh, so I wanted to go to the, to the main campus at, at Penn state and main campus is division one. And so after my second year at school, um, I went to main campus, never you know, played again after that. So I was 20 years old then. I'm 31 now. Mm -hmm. It's already been 11 years. And it's funny, I had a, a coach on my competitive travel team in high school who used to say in the Syracuse, New York area or anywhere in the Northeast, I mean, you're lucky if you get to play like 30 games a year in, in high school um, because the weather's terrible and, you know, you're just – just kind of stuck with that. So, um, and he would say, if you get three at bats for 30 games, you know, that's, that's less than a hundred at bats for an entire season. And, and he, he said this when I was like 16 or so, he's like, it's going to go by quickly. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I took him seriously at the time, but now that I think about when he said that, and I think about, you know, how quickly my career did end, I was like, wow, it, it literally goes that fast. Like it was just, it was just over. Like, I, I don't even know if I, realized it was over it was done this is really kind of like a hollywood romance first colin wants baseball but it's not giving him love so there's a drifting away from the sport but there's this little noise in his ear and he can't ignore it the itch as he calls it baseball has nuzzled its way back into colin's heart and then at maybe the most fun exciting point the sport had been for him in years baseball is over gone for real this time when when it when it happened in the moment there there was no like nostalgic feeling or oh my god this is the last time I'm ever gonna play I mean I you you know this being a competitive athlete I don't even know if I was like totally over the the lifelong dream of you know maybe I'll be the Yankees shortstop one day and even though I knew that was that was my last game. You know, when I, when I had my last game, that dream is still like alive in your head. <laughs> so you, it's like the last thing you're holding on to. Right. And so when it, when it happened, I don't, I don't think that it, it wasn't sad. It wasn't even like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? I mean, I still had school. I still had work. You know, I still had a lot of responsibilities and a lot of things that were keeping me occupied. So I think like when, reality set in that I was never going to play a competitive baseball game again is when when I was done with college and then you're entering into the to the real world and so my being done with college is obviously different than like the traditional four-year person um with with everything so it was uh the, like kind of a, a two-year just floater I guess <laughs> you know after that 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 there was like these feelings, okay, I'm, I'm done, but I still have a lot going on. And then as soon as I got into the workforce, it was like, I can't replicate that feeling of not just the competitive juices, but like the camaraderie that, that you make with your teammates and things like that. And that's when it really started setting in that I probably wasn't ever going to experience something like that again. 
the processing of his loss of baseball was kind of delayed. The massive change that comes with graduating and moving to the 9-to-5 corporate grind, which really so much of that, if you think about it, is tearing your routine and social network up by the roots. That gave a dose of an uncomfortable reality for Colin. I think what I struggled with outside of what I mentioned with whether it was the relationships that I developed with my teammates over the years. I mean, some of those people are uh, my best friends will always be my best friends. You know, we've been friends forever, it seems like. And um, so whether it was that or the competitive side, like I don't think I've in, I didn't do it probably until I started my own business. I couldn't find something that when I went to work, I was excited about work, but then I would also be excited after work. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like where you, you play your soccer game and you know, you, you know, there are things that you can work on and that doesn't, that doesn't drag you down. It gets you excited. You're like, Oh my God, I can be even better if I just put this time in. Like if you truly love something or you want to be good at something, you'll put that time in and it doesn't like feel like work. And, and I just couldn't find that in a traditional corporate job. I mean, it was very hard to find something in general that I liked going to, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, much less, you know, thinking about it afterwards or, you know, building those relationships with my coworkers in the, in the same way and, and different things like that. So I think that was the, the biggest thing that it, it didn't make me sad. It was just, it was frustrating. I, I think, you know, you, you go how long, 15 plus years, you know, with this, this mindset and this mentality and then you're like a fish out of water. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to, I think, to like people who are wired like I am and maybe like you are, where there's just people out there that, that don't want those type of feelings. Like they, they do just want to do the nine to five and clock out and never talk about it again, go to the bar, get, get, yeah. uh, you know, really drunk, uh, you know, and things like that. So I just, you know, not that I, I don't like to have fun and I don't like to have a social life, in it, but I do, or I did miss that hitting off a tee in my parents' garage in the middle of, well, not the middle of the night because my parents would have killed me, but, you know, late at night when everyone else was probably partying and, and I was, you know, there trying to make myself better because I truly loved baseball, not because I was trying to be, you know, this this person that, you know, oh, I'm better than everyone else, you know, that, that persona or something like that. I just truly loved it. And that's what I wanted to do. If you gave me a choice of working on my baseball game or going to a party when I was in high school, I was probably going to pick baseball. Mm-hmm. And, and I just couldn't do that in the work world. There was just nothing that I could find, even, even though I really enjoyed a lot of my corporate HR and recruiting experience, there was just nothing that I could find that replicated at all. This is something I just want to point out because it came up at this point in the conversation with Colin, just a different way of looking at the transition. There are a lot of transferable skills, amazing things that come from sport. We talk about all of them on the podcast. It's really like one of the big subjects we focus on. But also when it comes to going from being an athlete to whatever career, There are ways that the driven, competitive athlete mindset might not be so helpful right when you're starting out. Like in sports, there are these clearly set out ascending goals you're looking towards, right? You're looking to score. You're looking to win the game. You're looking to 
qualify for conference finals and then win a championship to qualify for nationals, etc. There are these benchmarks of success like those. But things like that, thinking like that when you're a 22-year-old kid in your first job coming out of college can actually work against you. It might leave you not so open to other ways of thinking and other opportunities. We all, feel, I feel like, feel that pressure. I know I did at least that, you know, I needed to find the, the job that was going to set me up for the next 20 years of my life. And it's just really hard to know, you know, what the next 20 years is going to look like and what you want to do. I mean, over the course of my time, since I've been out of school, there's been the, the recession uh, that the, the major recession that we had, there's been a global pandemic. So there's been two huge economical things that I have no control over when it comes to, to jobs or anything like that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that, that happen. And it's just, it, it's so crazy to think about, you know, when, <laughs> when you're that young and you're like, all right, I'm going to be like in an entry level position for two years and then I'm going to be a manager and then I'm going to be a CEO. And it's like, no, nah, it, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> couple of years of being unsatisfied in work, Colin started to find his way. And part of it was because he was reflecting on what he needed to feel fulfilled and happy through the trial and error experience. It just really came down to people. That, that was it. And I needed to be doing something where I was not just obviously going to be working with people. That's, that's a given. I think like most, most jobs in this world are service jobs world these days where you're like working in teams and things like that. But I, I wanted to, I wanted to impact people, I guess. Uh, that was, that was something that was important to me. And, and so I learned that, I mean, mainly I learned that through athletics, but I also learned that through the restaurant industry where when I was doing that in high school through college, it was great you know, meeting new people every single day. And it was great with regulars would come and you would really build a rapport with them. And I really wanted that like specific element to carry over into like a more traditional nine to five with benefits and a salary and, and things like that. And so that's where like the whole recruiting came, recruiting thing came from. And, um, you know, I just got, I think I got lucky that it, it definitely was what I thought it was going to be for the, for the most part. Uh, there are some things that are frustrating about the industry, but for the most part, you, you do get to interact with people all the time. You get to hear their stories. You get to try and help them find dream jobs and advance their careers and do these, these different things that are going to affect them both professionally and personally. And I think that's a really cool responsibility to have. And through the recruiting, I was able to get the HR crossover too, especially when I was working at a tech company in Syracuse. And that's where I got my first dose of like the development side. So it was like one thing to, to be able to identify really good talent to bring into an organization, but it was another thing entirely to keep them happy, to keep them engaged. Like everything that we've talked about in this conversation already, like, all right, we brought you into the organization. How can we make you feel the way I felt about playing baseball? with our organization. And um, some of that is, is just strictly like, you know, life skill developments or leadership development. Uh, some of that is like literal culture building, team building. How do we make the environment that people are around when we're in a non-pandemic world, how do we make that environment something that people want to come to work to every single day? And uh, that was the first time, that part specifically, the development piece was the first time I ever had anything that came close to 
the level of passion that sports brought out in me. And mm. so I would like read every book, listen to every podcast, talk to as many people as I could about it. I just loved it, soaked it up. That was probably five, six years ago when I first got introduced to, to that development world. And obviously it's a really big part of what I continue to do today. So it, it's, it's still never going to replicate <laughs> sports, but it, it is very close and, and by far, uh, better than anything else I've ever tried professionally in my life. And one important way Colin was really able to see that the development world was making him feel more excited and more satisfied than other job spaces he'd been in was, whether he was conscious of it or not, by measuring the feelings he was having against what he felt during his time as an athlete. And it's this tough thing. I'll just speak for me, but I mean, so much of my concept of success and what made me smile and feel proud was grounded in sports. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it just happened because, like Colin, I'd been playing since I was so little and it always been there. And then, yeah, you're faced with this question as you get older. To what degree... Should your athlete experience help you measure success and passion in your non-athlete life? If we accept we can't throw our pass out the window completely and that we shouldn't do that, when is this measuring helpful and when is it harmful? It's, it's definitely not at the level of, of sports and I don't know that it ever will. And, and I, I like what, what you just said, like, should we compare it to that? I, I think we should, like, we should want to achieve that same level of happiness, right? Like that for me is what success is. Happiness is success. So why shouldn't we try to achieve the level of happiness that we had playing sports in our professional career? Like it should be something that's attainable. I think it's very difficult to do, obviously, but I think it's out there. It just takes some time. And, and again, it's probably not something you're going to find when you're 22 years old. <laughs> Now, at 31, Colin has started his own business, stemming from what he'd started to recognize was key to his happiness. And he has a podcast as an attached feature of that business. I started the podcast, it's called, it's called the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, in August of 2018. So a little over two years now, it has been easily, and, and Hannah, I know you have a lot of creative ventures that you are interested in. It is... And, you do podcasting, obviously, too. It has been by far the most fun thing I've ever done from a professional experience. Like, it's just so cool to hear other people's stories, to connect with them. I've made some really, really great relationships through podcasting. Like, podcasting relationships, those have probably been the most impactful relationships I've made in a professional setting that like compared to the relationships I would make in athletics. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did. And it's a bonus that I get really good content and I've been able to essentially get a master's degree, at least <laughs> from listening to all these other people share their stories and their expertise. And I kick myself. I should have probably started sooner, but you have that imposter syndrome, you know, why are people going to listen to me and those type of things, but it's been so much fun and I'm so excited to continue to be able to do it. You know, luckily people want to continue to come on and be a guest and hopefully one day you will be a guest as well. <laughs> and and uh, it's just been 
so rewarding in that sense. So the podcast was a element, I guess you could say, of the Leadership Academy, which, so I founded the Talent 409 Leadership Academy in January of 2018. I celebrate the unofficial birthday on April 9th. Amazing. 409. So, but I founded that in 2018 because mainly because I, I wanted to take that work that I was doing in the corporate world around the developments, the leadership, the team, the culture building. I wanted to take that work and translate it to the sports industry. I'd come across people like John Gordon, for example, who is doing very similar type of work with like the Los Angeles Rams. He, he was doing work for and uh, things like that. And so I saw there was a market. I also have a really good friend who does this type of work that I played soccer with in the Maryland area. And so I knew that there was definitely a market for it. It was just like, okay, how do I want to go about it and make it unique for you know, my business right now? It's just going to be me. Maybe someday it'll be bigger than that. So founded that in 2018 with just literally the idea that I would do the same type of workshops and seminars and things like that but just in athletics and mainly at the high school in the collegiate level. So amateur athletics, you know, sometimes middle school if they're ready for it, but definitely not big time into the, into the pros yet, although that would be cool in the future. So oh, wow. that, that was, uh, that was in 2018 and the podcast was resu- like one of the, one of the things that I wanted to do to just get like more recognition, I guess, and um, also establish a level of credibility. Cause I mean, I get to talk a little bit in those guest episodes and people can hear me there. I also have solo episodes like you do with your intervals where, you know, we, I think like give off our expertise a little bit more. So um, yeah, that, that's how the leadership Academy started and, and that's how the podcast started. You know, this is a guy who's driven and serious about making a difference if he's been consistently running his own podcast along with his own business for over two years. I read a I read a quote from a, uh, an article between March and June of 2020. So when the pandemic like was oh really kicking podcast, off, okay. <laughs> podcasting took off, obviously. It was like 325,000 new podcasts or something like that. I, I would be willing to bet that there is a, a far larger amount of people, like a percentage number there that, that have not podcasted since March or since yeah. June. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's frustrating because there, there's, there's a lot of things in life that are like that. And, and that's what makes, you know, running your own business, for example, so hard. And that's what makes breaking into journalism so hard. And, you know, all these different careers where you have those people who are super hungry and have big aspirations, but they have to fight through all that noise. And it's like you said earlier, that's why patience is, is truly such a virtue to have, because if you can't be patient, then you're probably not going to last because you'll get frustrated, you'll quit, you'll move on to something else. But like, if you truly want to do something, the patience has to be there. It'll help you adapt. It'll help you learn new skills and and things like that. So, I mean, podcasting is just like one silly example. I'm not a, uh, I'm not even like a hundred air. I don't, I haven't even made a hundred dollars off my podcast before, but um, it's so much fun. And, and I, I feel really good about sticking with it. And the fact that I have, you know, week after week after week for two years, put out consistent content, I think like says something to, um, you know, the integrity of it all. It's amazing. It's 
especially with, like you said, you, life is, there's so many things out of your control. You never know what's going to be added to your plate. And um, you're now a dad and having to figure out how to adjust to still be consistent. Um, it's really, really difficult to do. And being in grad school now, besides some of the challenges I'm facing with figuring out how to balance that, but um, people have been asking, I feel like this conversation comes up in grad school a lot where people ask what your dream job is. And I'm really realizing like my dream job would be to just have like a podcast network, just like five <laughs> podcasts about like different things, you know, D3 yeah. sports. I love D3 sports, uh, retired athletes, whatever it may be, you know, podcasting is really, it's really just the best. Yeah. And that would be so cool. And like, <laughs> there's no reason that you can't do that. Right. All the only reason that you might not do it is because society tells you that that's not something that's sustainable. Like mm -hmm. Hannah, you're not, you're not going to make a lot of money in the beginning. Why would you do that when you could get a, a $32,000 a year job out of, you know, when you graduate grad school yeah. and, and everything, but it's like, well, I could take that $32,000 uh, a year job, or I could, you know, just live very modestly and do the thing that I love. And three or four years from now, I'll be making three times as much as that starting salary. Not that money's like the, the only thing mm -hmm. at the end of the day, but you need some money to live. And, <laughs> and it's like, it, you know, if you want to start a podcasting network, do it like that's, and it's so hard. I heard Michael Che, I don't know if you watch SNL, um, but Michael Che is one of my favorite comedians and uh, he does the weekend update with Colin Jost and, and he was on, I think it was Conan O'Brien's podcast uh, rather recently. And he was just talking about how many people in the, in this world do something that they don't love because they are afraid of sacrificing that for something that they would absolutely love to do. And he's, uh, he's a black man from, um, inner city somewhere uh in in new york mm -hmm. and he said the only reason that he like well not the only reason but one of the biggest reasons that he is where he is on snl and like one of the lead positions as a writer on weekend update which is like one of the most popular segments is because he was pretty uneducated he didn't have a job but because of that it allowed him to go to all the open mics mm -hmm. in the area and then colin saw him one day and was like, hey, we're looking for people to do a little bit of guest writing. You want to come over? He started doing some guest writing. Next thing you know, he's co-host on SNL. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah, it's, I, I mean, it, it, it doesn't always happen that way. I, I, <laughs> I realized that, but uh, it just really hit me when he said that. And then like hearing his story about like, he was out there grinding. Like he was, he was out there every single night. And Jerry Seinfeld, I, I love comedians. Um, I, I love comedy. I, I learned so much from all, all comedians and Jerry Seinfeld talks about like how he dedicates, like, I think it's two hours a day to writing and he meditates two times a day. Mm -hmm. And, and like he equates that to a lot of his success throughout his career. And he said, he's been doing that since he's like 16, 17 years old when he's like wow. doing the same things that Michael Che is in New York city, you know, hitting the clubs and everything is for, before Seinfeld sitcom and you know everything so uh, there there's a formula out there just so many of us I think because of like societal pressures and because of the pressure to like actually make money so you can live you know we we can't quote-unquote afford to like take that chance mm -hmm. um, but you know I'm hopeful that 
you know, you'll be able to take that chance and, and be able to like start your own podcasting network. Cause like, I think the world needs more people who are like genuinely happy with what they do on a day-to-day basis. And if that happens, then like, I think innovation opens up and like just so many good things happen. Whereas just so many of us suppress our feelings and we just like grind through the day-to-day because we're waiting on a paycheck that can you know help us to, to the next paycheck and everything. And that, I mean, you know, this being a retired athlete, when you retire, if you're like 22 years old and you are fortunate to live until you're like 85, that period between 22 and 85 is significantly longer than it was when you were playing sports as a kid through age 22. And I mean, if you're going to live a somewhat miserable, unhappy, just grind it through life for that long, it's, it's just really hard to think about, you know, so... One of the key themes here, whether we're talking about future podcast network owner Hannah, current Colin or Michael Che or Jerry Seinfeld, is doing the things to create your own luck. These are things that might be risky or unsustainable by society's standards, but it's just basically this. The time and energy you're dedicating to make a goal happen, the more likely it is that it will happen one of the things we teach in our workshops is called the lucky bounce concept Mm -hmm. and it's all around preparation. It's you get luckier, the more prepared you are. I I listened to, uh, it's just called, um, it's called just women's sports podcasts. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And I love when she asked the question at the end of all the podcasts, how much uh, like a percentage, how much do you think hard work versus luck has played into your success? And some of the people had struggled with answering the question, but there was one, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was April, the, um, uh, she's like a snowboarder or a, a skier. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Um, but she, she started talking like pretty in depth about, you know, if you're prepared, then you're going to get luckier. And, and like I said, we, t- we teach this concept in one of our workshops through the leadership Academy that, luck definitely plays into things. The people who say that, you know, mm-hmm. luck doesn't matter and that you can't get lucky, you know, they're, they're looking at it all wrong. And, and the people who don't want to admit <laughs> that luck hasn't ha- ha- helped them along the way, like that's looking at it wrong too. Like, of course, luck helps you. It's, it's part of life. Like that's why they call it luck. You can't predict these things. Take these two moments. Deciding to try out for a collegiate baseball team to give your sport one last shot, which leads to you having one of the most memorable experiences you've ever had. And deciding to go full-time with a leadership development business that you started from the ground up. It takes patience, takes bravery, and it takes a willingness to be a bit uncomfortable to put yourself in these sorts of situations. But creating these conditions for yourself is how you force openings for good things to come into your world, for life-changing things to happen. Thank you to Colin Cernelia for coming onto the podcast. To learn more about his Leadership Academy, check out talent409.com. You can also check out his book, Culture of Excellence, What We Can Learn from the Yankees About Leadership, on Amazon. Other than that, hope to see you next time.